church. Man, it's good to see you guys. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be home. We had an incredible trip in Naples, Italy. Uh, a lot of ministry, three different churches. I think we spoke about eight different times, and God just really did some incredible things. So we'll share more about that at a later time. I do want to welcome our Foley campus, Mobile campus. I want to welcome the Holman campus for the first time for me. I want to say thank you guys for allowing us to speak into your lives. And then, for the first time, we're welcoming City Hope Baymanette. Can we give it up? They're with us right now. Right now, they're with us. We're streaming in there, and there are 220 people in that room or in that building right now in worship with us. Yeah. That's the 11 o'clock service. The 9 o'clock service, there's 175 people in that service. So just doing great. We're so proud of you guys. They've worked really hard this week getting everything turned around, changed around, and it looks great. Uh, I want to remind you that we are in, in summer, and in summer represents camps. So we have students and children who will be going to camp. I encourage you every summer to sponsor a kid to camp. My wife and I, we do this every year. I encourage you to do that. Uh, it will change their lives. Maybe your kids are out of the house, maybe you don't have any kids, but I encourage you to do that. It would just be a tremendous blessing to a kid who may not. We, we always have kids who can't quite afford the whole tuition, so I encourage you to do that if you would, if you, if you'll led to. And you know, it's so great, uh, really great to come back on Barefoot Weekend. I mean, this is, I love this weekend. I am not taking my shoes off because I really want you to pay attention to me. And if I did take them off, you would look at my big feet. So I'm not going to do that. But uh, it's just a great weekend. Thank you. All across our campuses, people are bringing in shoes. This will be happening in Honduras and in China. All the campuses, we'll, just, we'll give you a report of how many thousands of pairs of shoes will be coming in this weekend. So thank you so much for that. Well, you guys are already in a series, Sticks and Stones. I get to step in the middle of the series. And I want to say thanks to Trey, who did a great job presenting to you powerful truths the last couple of weeks. So I want to start by asking you a question, and I know the answer, but I still want to ask the question. Have you ever been hung by your tongue? Have you ever said something that you wish you could retract? Have you ever just kind of gone off or you've held it in and then are, are you voice your opinion when nobody asks or, or whatever, and you said something that it was too late, but you're hung? Well, if, if you read the book of James, he talks a lot about the tongue. And in chapter 3, verse 2, the last part of that verse, the B part, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is perfect. He's a perfect man. If you, if, if you don't get hung by the tongue, you're a perfect man. Able also to bridle the whole body. So we learn to bridle the tongue. We can bridle and control the whole body. How many of you could use a little help with controlling your body? Okay, some of you are lying right now. Your appetites, you know, your desserts, your wants, lust, all that stuff. James saying if you can get to the place where you can control your tongue, you'll also be able to control your body. He goes on in that chapter, and here's what he tells us. He tells us that the tongue is disproportionately powerful. In other words, in proportion to the rest of your body, it's really small, but its influence is greater than any other member of your body. 
He says in verse 8, but no man can tame the tongue. It's, an un, it's unruly evil, full of deadly poison. So no man, no human, it's humanly impossible to tame the tongue. That's the bad news, humanly untamable. The good news is it's divinely tameable. God can tame the tongue. He's the creator of the tongue. And by the way, there's an owner's manual for your tongue, and he wrote the owner's manual. So by now, if you have reached any type of maturity, you know you figured out you can't tame your tongue. And if you're like me, you know, you, you, you set times and seasons where, you know, you, you just, you're out there, you've hung yourself, and you say, okay, you know what, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm not going to voice my opinions. I'm, I'm not going to be sarcastic or critical. I'm not going to say this. I'm not, I'm just, I am just never going to say any more of those dumb things. Well, the bad news is dumb stores up. And in, you, you can only go about three or four weeks and your dumb locker is full. <laughs> and something's going to happen or someone's going to say something and you're going to release three or four weeks of dumb things and there it is, right? Yeah, okay. Well, why? Well, because the, the tongue cannot be tamed by you. You can only submit the tongue. The words of your mouth have control of your life whether you like that statement or not, or whether you believe that statement or not is true, the words of your mouth have control of your life. You know, we've said, you know, God knows, knows the future. Well, well, how does God know the future? Well, because he's God. Well, th there's more to it than that. God knows the future because he spoke the future into existence. He spoke everything in, into existence, and, and the Bible says that this world will pass away, but his word will never pass away. So here's something God said. God, God said, I am not willing that any should perish. He, he spoke that. God spoke that you should have redemption and you can have it if you want it. So God spoke the future. That's why he knows the future. He also put the future in your hands and so that you can speak your salvation, you can receive your salvation, and you can speak your future. Your words are spirit and life, and once you speak them, they become life. And, and it's, you know, you, you've heard the old saying, you, you know, and, and I want to show you how what you say is what you get. Because you can't arise above what you've allowed yourself to think or say about yourself. You think back five years, 10, 20 years, and you think about what's been happening in your life, and then you go back and you remember the things that you've said, and you see if they're not parallel. In other words, to control your mouth you have to control your mind. Just to freely speak things, you know, you have to control your mind. Right or wrong thinking is the basis of your words. That's why Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. A man is what he thinks. A woman is what she thinks. And this is a spiritual principle, and this is what it means. It means that God made the principle, not man, and it means that this principle cannot be broken down. It's like the principle of sowing and reaping. Uh, Luke tells us that whatever we give out, that's what's going to come back. You give out criticism, that's what you're going to get back is criticism. You give out judgment, you're going to get judgment back. You give out kindness, you get it back. You give out blessings, you get it back. We can always depend on God's principles. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So recognize that what you think has been the basic controlling factor in your life and in your future. What do you think? That's what's been controlling your life and your future. God will prosper you as you submit yourself to his principles. 
So in this message, here's what I want to do. I want to kind of go from the inside out. I want to go from the mind and kind of roll it back to what comes out the tongue. And so I'm just going to give you some, some ideas, some concepts. So here's the first concept, the, the root of our thinking. What, what, what is the, I mean, your thinking starts with your thoughts, and you know, sometimes our miles, minds go crazy and run wild, we need to shut them down. But what causes your mind to run wild? Thoughts. What are the origin of your thoughts? Well, there's basically three. Well, number one, thoughts come from your five senses. So either from your present environment that you're in or what you've stored in the subconscious from a previous environment from five years ago, ten years ago, or last week, those, those thoughts, uh, they, they affect your, your, your senses. So that, that, that's where we pull thoughts from. Secondly, we pull thoughts, thoughts can come from Satan. He bombards our minds with thoughts. The Bible says in John 13 that the devil put the thought of betrayal into Judas's heart. So you're, you're thinking upon a particular line of reasoning, and it can be started when Satan starts to plant a thought in your mind. And Satan cannot read your mind, but he only attacks it with thoughts. And, and, and then thoughts come from God. How does God put thoughts in my mind? Through the Holy Spirit. The difference is, is God's thoughts, his thoughts that he puts in, deal with my spirit. You are a spirit, you possess a soul, you live in a body. God's thoughts are going to deal directly with my spirit. That's who I am. That, when I'm born again, my spirit man is alive. The five senses and the devil's thoughts, when they come in, they're going to be dealt with in my mind, not in my spirit. And my mind rests within my soul. So, here's what I want you to see. I'm going to paraphrase Romans 8, 7. That the natural mind alone, you, in other words, your, your sensual part, you, you cannot know God there. You, you can't know God intimately in a relationship in that part. So God is going to speak to you through your spirit, and then your spirit, man, is going to speak to your mind. And whether or not your mind can use those thoughts is based on whether or not your mind has been renewed by the Word of God. Here's another concept. Our minds are programmable. See, how can you tell if good words or bad words will come out? By what you've programmed into your mind. In other words, your mind knows nothing except what it has been fed. So your spirit is the real you. All the real issues of life flow out your spirit. And all of us have been programmed by our life circumstances in this world we live. And actually, when you become a believer, you really have to be reprogrammed instead of programming them. You need to be reprogrammed. Let me, let me tell you what that looks like. That would be, for you to do it, it would be like unpickling a pickle. In other words, you can't do it yourself. You have to submit your mind to God. You, you, you must get your mind thinking scripturally. Why? Because when your, mind, it, when your mind accepts or rejects thoughts according to what it knows from the Word of God, that's the way our mind, because when my mind accepts it, 
or it rejects it, it's because of what I know from the Word of God. I'll give you some homework, okay? It's summer, so you might as well do some. I want you to read the book of, uh, the chapter of Psalms 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. And when you read it this week, I want you to notice, I'm, I'm telling you, it, it, it is just a, it's such a stimulating chapter. But you'll see phrases that are so close together. You'll see the phrase, your word, your statues, your concepts, and, and all of those are in there about 80 times. And what the writer is saying, he's talking about God's word, God's ways. And, and, and as we line up with God's word and God's ways, as we go through life, he's says you will protect yourself so how, how do the words of God protect us what what do you protect you protect your mind because you're starting to think like God thinks as believers we can do that why because scripture says we have the mind of Christ and so I can begin to take things and put them in so that I can begin to think the way God thinks according to his word and not how I was trained and not how I was programmed one of the verses you'll read when you do your homework is verse 105. The word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. So you must take the word of God and use it as the basis which you program your mind. But here's what most of us do so many times. We decide to put our thoughts on relating to the past experience. Here comes a thought, well, I'm going to connect it back to a past experience in the previous environment or we take a thought or you know what I'm going to connect this to experiences I've had with other people rather going to God's word rather standing on God's word here's another thought I want you to understand we can censor our thoughts you censor things that come into your home you can censor your thoughts in 2nd Corinthians 10 verse 5 the scripture says casting down arguments let me tell you what an argument is an argument can become an imagination or a reasoning. So casting down imaginations and reasonings and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and then bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So how can something come against the knowledge of God? Well, in the battle of your mind, you have the word. If you're putting the word in into your spirit, Satan's coming in with thoughts, and he's putting it in your mind that's going against its counter, whatever God's word is. So he's bombarding your mind. You're putting this word in your spirit. And the Bible says that you have to cast down every imagination or reasoning that exalts itself above what God's word says. So as your listen, as your mind is being reprogrammed with the word of God, then anything that comes against the word of God, when the enemy drops a thought in, or when your five senses comes up with a thought that's in error, then here's what will happen: the word of God will cast it down. And and and, and this is what we have to do with our thoughts because listen. Every day you live, you're going to run into this problem. You're going to have thoughts coming in from your five senses. You're going to have thoughts coming in from the enemy. They're constantly coming in because of the world we live. That's fine, but I have to know what God says so that I can take all of those thoughts and everything that's going on and I take them to the obedience of Christ. It's kind of like a filter. So now that everything that comes into my mind, I'm running it through the filter of Christ. So ask yourself, when a thought comes, does this line up with Scripture? If not, take it out. Don't, don't use it. Get rid of it. But to do that, you have to know the Scripture. If you don't understand the Scripture or know the Scripture, you can't do it. Because after the thought comes, you have to decide, what am I going to do with this thought? And I don't know, maybe I'm different than you, but out of the blue sometimes, the weirdest things just pop in your mind and things come across. And it's like, it, it, it never stops. It's ongoing. And, and listen, here's what I want you to see. If it's a bad thought... It's dangerous to dwell on it. So, so stay with me. Here's why. 
because the bad thoughts, if you dwell on it, it turns into imagination. And if you stay in the imagination mode too long, it turns into a stronghold. And a stronghold is something that controls your life. And the Bible says you've got to pull them down because I want Christ to control your life, not a stronghold. So thoughts are original ideas. Imaginations are the image. Strongholds are the results of thoughts that become reality. So when the stronghold is what controls you, if you allow it, but Jesus said, I've given you authority over your thinking. But you have to take authority and you have to stay in authority. Well, how do I do that? Listen, to do that, it's an act of your will. God doesn't manipulate your will. It's your will. Your will is in your soulless realm. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotion. You have to activate your will. And here's why it's important. Because an imagination, if you get a bad thought and you dwell on it, it's dangerous. Here's what happens when it becomes an imagination. It is an imagination is an intent to do something with what you've been thinking about. So I've got a bad thought and I've got an imagination. Now there's an intention to do something with that. But then a stronghold, when it rolls over into that, then the choice is not mine anymore. And so the stronghold is controlling me, and I'm submitted to those thoughts. So I, I'm hung by the tongue. I say things. I, I, I go off on people. I curse people. I, I speak things that I shouldn't speak over my children. I say things over marriage I shouldn't say. Whenever a thought comes and you cannot follow that line of thinking in, with the peace of God, you need to get rid of it. If a thought comes and it doesn't line up with the way God would think or what God would say, you get rid of it. You dismiss it. Because thoughts from God are like directions, and they're, and, and they're produced by God, and they distribute peace within your spirit as you take his thoughts. If your mind is not renewed by the word, then your natural mind is going to rebel. We've all been there where the natural rebels because, oh, we, we got a thought, we've dwelt on it, it becomes an imagination. Now I have an intent to do something I shouldn't do. But then my, my mind, my, my soulless man wants to rebel with what God says or what the preacher says, what anybody says, because there's a rebellion. Listen, your mind can be ruled by the peace of God instead of thoughts and imaginations and strongholds of the enemy. God has made you that way. You just have to know that I can live that way because there is no confusion in the Word of God. And when the devil tries to confuse us, we go to the Word. In other words, you censor your thoughts. You're not a puppet on a string. You're, you're not just a victim of what culture and society is saying. You can censor your thoughts. Now, watch this concept. Victory or defeat begins in the mind. You, you look at a baseball team or a football team and you look at the coach, what do they do? They practice and they teach and they practice and they teach the athletes and then before the games they start talking and, and pep talks and, and what are they doing? They're conditioning their minds to think victory. If they never think victory, they will never win a game. They will be defeated. God's word is victory. We, when we think God's word, then victory is born in my mind. If you can put correct thoughts in your mind and get it to become an imagination, watch, I'm going to flip it over because what I've just given you is the enemy's perspective and he takes everything that God has and he perverts it. But watch how God built this thing. If you can put correct thoughts, God's thoughts, his words in your mind and then get his words to become an imagination and then a stronghold and then it's according to God's word, then that word is burned in your mind. It's etched in your mind and guess what happens 
then it comes out of your mouth and it will direct your path according to what according to god's will not my will not my senses will not what the enemies put there but god's will this is the positive side of, of, of thoughts this is the positive side so watch our thoughts are seeds planted in our minds your thoughts are like seeds planted in your mind. If you decide to have a garden, you've got to get the ground prepared, get the grass up, get the weeds up, get the rocks up. You drop the seed in the ground, and, and then here, here's what happens. The garden progresses, and you didn't plant them, but weeds come up along with the vegetables. So what do you do? You pull out the weeds so that the good plant can grow. It's the same with your mind. You pull down the bad thoughts and allow only good thoughts to be planted in the garden of your mind. Here's why it's important. Because anything left in your garden will grow. Any negative thought, it will grow. Any negative from a past environment or an experience is going to grow. That's why we've got to get that weed out. We've got to pull the weed out so that the good word, the good thoughts, the good things from God, that's what's growing in it. And here, here's, here's the key. Here's another, here's another idea, is our part in all of this, and I know I've thrown a lot out at you, but here's your part, is to exercise the will to think positive. Now, don't turn me off. Listen, it's your job, my job, to exercise my will to think positive. Positive thinking in line with the Word of God is not mind over matter. Positive thinking in line with the Word of God is mouth over matter. Paul said it this way in Philippians 4.8, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue in them, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You are bombarded in your culture, your society, with negative after negative after negative, complaint after complaint, criticism after criticism. He says you find things that are true and lovely and, and there's praiseworthy. You meditate. Here, here's what he's saying. Let me, let me just paraphrase it. He's saying we need to develop the habit of positive thinking. Are you breathing? We need to develop. We are God's children we need to develop the, the a habit of positive thinking. Because listen, to change a habit, you, you have to be motivated, but to change a habit, you gotta have a good habit to replace the bad habit. So we have to be motivated. And, and here, here's another concept. Fear then, fear will prevent us from speaking with faith. Fear will prevent us from speaking the positive words of God's faith. The average Christian just lets his mind wander anywhere it wants to, and that's why we've been trained in all of these different areas. We let our minds wander all over because of our five senses, because of what the enemy puts in there. And so we're trained from all over the place. In our thinking, there cannot be fear. Fear is the spirit. The Bible says do not fear. The Bible says fear not. The Bible says don't fear and don't worry. 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Fear will prevent you from speaking the correct things. Fear will cause you to be afraid that if you speak the correct things, that, that, that Satan's going to attack you. Watch. Fear is Satan's faith. Fear produces death. Fear activates Satan like faith activates God. Fear brings torment. 
1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect, lear, fear, perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. There's torment. We're frustrated. I, I should have got the promotion. This shouldn't have happened. That should have happened. We're frustrated and, and we're tormented inside. We cannot allow our minds to stay in fear because if we do, we will not speak to ourselves by faith. We will not speak to others by faith. We'll go off and we'll say the wrong thing and we're hung by the tongue. If we stay in fear, that's when we're, that's when we're hung by the tongue. Here's the solution. Watch. The solution is we must know God's will for our life. This is where people are tripped up because they don't know God's will for their life. If you don't know where you're going, then how can you apply God's direction to your life? If you don't know where you're going, how do you apply God's faith and, and, and his words to direct your life? It's like trying to shoot a target 100 yards away with a shotgun when you really need a rifle. So you have to rifle your faith, direct all its energy toward the target of your life. Yet many of you may say, well, you, may be, you need to ask yourself, where am I aiming? Where, where's my life aiming? Or maybe you're thinking, do I even have a target? Or am I just going through life and I, and I got a job and I got a wife and I got kids and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I got all this. God does not have to show you the whole future and I doubt he will, but God is willing to give you one step at a time, another step at another day, another step at another day. That's why Jesus said in John 6, 63, the last part, he says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and life. That's why, watch, that's why it's important to agree with God about what he says. That's what confession is, is when I say something, I speak something, I talk about something that's agreeing with what God has said. That's faith. Why is that so important that I say that and not be hung by the tongue? Because words can carry a spiritual force to transmit faith or words can transmit fear. It can transmit confusion. Your words, when you speak, if you're hung by, when you get hung by the tongue, your, your image, you're transmitting your image to others. When we're hung by the tongue, you see your words are powerful transmitters. And here's the thing. Do, do you know who the number one hearer of what you say is? You. I mean, you say a lot of things your spouse doesn't hear, but everything you say you hear. You say a lot of things your boss doesn't hear, but you hear everything you say. So many people don't know how they got into this mess they're in because of their tongue, because of the words, because of the thoughts, because of the attitude. And most of the time, listen, most of the time our problems can be located one inch below our nose. Our mouth are the words that come out of our mouth. Why? The mouth deceives the heart. Because you see, those you criticize, they don't need criticism. They need encouragement or they need teaching or, 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 or you know, whatever. And, 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 and someone said, I, you know, they said it, and, and, and I agree with this, once in a while, all of us, we, we need a checkup from the neck up to keep from getting hardening of the attitude. And our words kind of harden that attitude because we cut people down, we, we, we put people down, we're negative. We, we speak against our job. We speak against our employer. We speak, speak against the government. We speak against the president. We speak against all this stuff. What are we doing? We're getting a hardening of the attitude. Now watch. Here's what David said, okay? David said in Psalms 23 and verse 5, he said to God, he, he's speaking for God, you anoint 
my head with oil. So watch where I'm going with this. At that time, David was a shepherd. In that country, in that season, in the summer, insects were the number one enemy of sheep, especially flies. For a sheep, their number one enemy is a nasal fly that comes and lays eggs in the nostril of the sheep, but the egg is planted under the membrane in the nostril, and so when the egg is hatched, that little thing comes out in the, under that membrane, and it will literally drive the sheep to kill itself, to beat its head against a rock or a tree to try to get some relief. And the shepherd, if he's a good shepherd, sees that and he stops the sheep and he corrects the sheep and he saves the sheep's life. You know we're likened to sheep. And you know we can get so frustrated with the words that we say and the things that we do and the attitudes that we have that it's like we just want to beat our heads against the wall. It's like, is this ever going to change? I can't get out of this. I keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper. That's where the shepherd has to come to help and save that. Now, you have to understand this concept. Because the Jewish people, in, in their minds, flies are a type or a shadow, or they represent types of evil spirits. In the New Testament, you remember the name Beelzebub. It's Lord of the Flies, okay? And, and so, so under, understand that the shepherd, knowing that the fly is the number one enemy of a sheep, a little bitty nasty fly, what, what does the shepherd do? He will take olive oil and he will mix it with a substance. It's like a tar product and it has sulfur in it and they would anoint the head, the nostril of the sheep and here's what it would do. That oil, that anointing, it, that smell would repulse the fly and the fly wouldn't land and lay eggs on the sheep anymore and so the shepherd uses the oil to keep the enemy from the sheep from harming the sheep. You're thinking, well, how does a fly harm a sheep other than he's beating his head? Here's what happens when a fly harms a sheep. The sheep then stop, is so frustrated and his system's all out, and, and, and even a downcast sheep is a sheep that's turned up on its back and, and the system is paralyzed unless the shepherd picks them up. The whole nervous system is all out of whack, and, and here's what happens is that it, it, they, they, don't, they don't produce wool. The purpose of the sheep is to produce wool and lambs. So when a sheep, when this fly is harming the sheep, it's ultimate, it, it can ultimately kill the sheep, but the sheep is not going to produce good wool and it's not going to reproduce lambs. So the shepherd has to anoint this. Now, now let, me, let me tell you how, how, how I got here, okay? Because, but, but, but understand it. This is true. This may be a little gross, but suck it up, buttercup. You can do it. Well, watch this. I, I've studied this for years and years and years, and I, I know this. And, and if I'm sitting in my house, I'm sitting on the couch, or I'm in my office, and a fly comes around, first thing pops up in the back of my mind is, no. That, that, that's a distraction, and that is a type of a spirit that's bugging me. Now you're saying, well, that's a little weird. Now I'm just telling you, it's a type and a shadow. And, 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 and it, they aggravate me, they're nasty, and they come and distract. So I'm sitting and I'm looking over, in my, I'm looking over my, my message. Yesterday, I'm just, I'm just cruising through looking at it, okay? And a fly comes in the office, my office, and I hate them. And immediately I think distraction. I, I'm kidding, I can't help to think that way. It just, it's just what I think. I think of an evil spirit. It's like, yeah, you know, I... I and so I take a little magazine, I fold it, and I'm popping it, and he's landing on my iPad. 
on top of my notes. I think I'm going to tear up my iPad. I keep hitting it. And so finally, you know, I'm swatting, and I, I don't see it. I got it. And so, okay, it, it's not flying around anymore. That's good. So I'm looking through my notes. It's been five or ten minutes. I'm sitting there reading, and I've got a bottle of water here, and I take the bottle of water. Yeah, you're tracking with me, aren't you? And I'm looking down, and I just take a drink of water. As soon as I put the water in my mouth, I feel something on my tongue. I told you this was gross. My reflex immediately was I turn and I spit it on the floor. Immediately. In the water, there's a dead fly. And I did what any brave man would do. I ran to the bathroom, I brushed my teeth, and I gargled. <laughs> like, God. Arr. Of course, I squished him real good to make sure he was dead. So what? I, I, I kid you not, this happened. I did not plan to end this, this message. This was not in there. I've studied this. I know this. Some of you have heard me teach this before. God said, here's what I want you to convey. They're my sheep, and the distractions of the enemy aren't necessarily in their nostrils and in their mindset, but the distraction is on their tongue because they believe their tongue and what their tongue says more than they believe what my word says. And what did David say in the psalm? He said, you anoint my head with oil. The good shepherd takes the oil and anoints the sheep. Well, what is the oil? Well, D Jesus tells us that he is the oil and, and, and that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's Jesus, the anointed one. The purpose of the anointing is to relieve the frustration and the pain and the frustration that I don't say things and I'm not short and I'm not curt. And then, watch, it draws the sheep and the natural closer to the shepherd. So the anointing of Jesus draws me closer to the shepherd. Why? Why does God want me close to him? So he can restore my will. If I'm not walking in his will in my life, watch, I'm not going to produce wool and I'm not going to reproduce lambs. Why is that important? Because reproducing wool means that you are going to be prosperous in what you put your hands to, and reproducing lambs means that you're going to, by the words of your mouth, you're going to draw people in, and they're going to become believers and converts because they hear the words of Jesus and kindness and love coming out and not speaking like the rest of the world. When you speak like the rest of the world and you cut and you you divide and you're, and you're critical and all that. That sounds like the rest of the world. Nobody's hearing that. It's just a voice. But when you're speaking things that you can't believe you're speaking, the love of God and the kindness and the grace of God, here's what it means. It means that your mind and your tongue has been anointed and God is going to use you to win a harvest into him just by the words that come out of your mouth. I believe the harvest, part of the harvest is lost because of words. I mean, I, 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 some Christians are the meanest people I've ever met. I don't like them. Now, I got to love them because I want to go to heaven, but I ain't got to like them. Why? Just because of the words. And here's what happens. When we're hung by the tongue and we got all this coming out, I guarantee you, you go back to that place of environment or you go back to what the enemy has tried to get you to believe a lie, and all of that is stemmed at the bottom, and there's a frustration, and there's a pain, and it's all there. And until you get rid of that, you can't tame the tongue. But you have to submit it to the shepherd. Let him anoint you. 
I, I want you to close your eyes. Every campus, just close your eyes. In just a minute, I'm going I'm I'm to pray real quick. Before I do, eyes closed, listen. In just a moment, there'll be people to come to the front and every campus to pray with you. If God's Spirit's speaking to you, remember, God speaks to you through His Spirit in your spirit. And you realize, I want to I I, I stop this nonsense of being hung by the tongue. I'm tired of sticking my foot in my mouth. I'm tired of all this stuff. I, I challenge you. And I'm, mo- I'm asking you to motivate yourself to change. Give yourself some room for failure, but motivate yourself to change and to ask someone to pray for you that the anointing of Jesus Christ will come over your mind and renew and reprogram your mind so that the words that come out of your mouth will glorify our Savior. Jesus, thank you so much for loving us. And time and time again we fail you in actions and words and deeds, but your love never stops. And I pray that you will demonstrate your love to people today and what they think they can't change. May they come to the good shepherd and as people pray for them, will you anoint them with a fresh anointing over their minds so that they can begin to see the power of your word change their entire mindset for the good of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Amen.